0: Welcome to the Mortise and Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number fifty, and I'm Joshua Klein.
1: I'm Mike Uptograph and we made it to fifty. Fifty. That's great.
0: It's a milestone.
1: Halfway to the century mark. <laughs> I don't know uh, how many of these do we do a year. We we try and do it like every month, every other, yeah, every
0: few weeks or something. I don't yeah.
1: know. So it's going to take us a little bit. But yep. You know we uh, we try not to adhere to rigidly to a schedule because then we're locked in we have to do it but a schedule is also good because otherwise we we just won't do it so yeah 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 roughly every three to
0: four weeks So we have a half-hearted commitment yes every few weeks
1: yeah that sounds like a new year's resolution kind of thing doesn't it uh usually those fizzle by about february but uh in news around here uh So the house by hand project, uh, the, the timber frame project that we've been, uh, restoring and raising over here is tucked into bed for
0: winter. Ready for a rest. Yes. We're all ready for rest.
1: Yeah, we are. I mean, that there's, um, that kind of work is not the kind of thing you want to be doing in the middle of winter. No. Uh, Outside, um, moving big, heavy timbers with numb fingers as the wind's howling, you know, and the wolves are gathering. And I mean, this is, this is Maine. This is the wilderness. So uh, uh, we don't want to be doing that. So um, the, the L that we successfully raised is all sheathed in and covered and the foundation sills for the house portion, we built a roof system over. Uh, just a
0: temper, just two by four screwed together yeah, just to hold with a whole tarp.
1: blue tarps as is the it's like the the flag of maine yeah the, it's the blue tarp exactly uh so it it is ready for snow um, and
0: uh yeah, it feels good It, it feels does. really good to have it at that place. Um I was just talking to somebody actually yesterday, a friend of mine and he was kind of on the outside of this project watching and he said, you guys go pretty hard, don't you? It's <laughs> <I was> like. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really I'm really happy to have this thing covered and mm-hmm. uh, safe. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean we're we're doing that. We have that kind of all wrapped up, and now we're shifting into issue 14 production. Uh, we're, you know, really focusing our efforts on 14, wrapping up our articles which are past due at this point. Yeah. But we're getting, cutting ourselves some slack, so we have extended our deadlines.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. But other authors are sending in their articles, so, you know, we're um when we get uh when we get back together in January. January is when that really starts um, clicking into gear, when we really start uh, focusing all of our energy and all of our uh, creativity on this uh, new issue in production. So um, yeah, that's January and February is really uh, putting that together. We're excited about having it, uh, having these things in hand, looking through the articles and uh, it's it's always good. It's always good to take this this season, this mm-hmm. time, uh, to focus on editorial work.
1: Yeah, and um, part of the the changing of years and changing of seasons, and part of the fact that uh, our work here does go in those regular cycles, um, it's kind of inspired what we want to talk about today. Um, our the podcast we're calling it. Uh, this is this is a pretty sappy title, I will say. Okay, what's that? Year's end. Reflections and resolutions. Ugh. I mean, that's that's pretty bad. Yeah. But it's kind of what it's about too. So yep. oftentimes the title is just utilitarian. And here we are. Uh, yeah, we're just reflecting on, as you do at the end of the year. You you sit back and you reflect and you go, okay, what did I do this year that that worked out? What did I do this year that was really a bad idea? What do yep. I want to do differently next year? Um, <clears throat> I I personally really love the the cyclical nature of our work here and that the editorial cycle and the fact that we only do well i say only we do two issues a year sure we're not doing quarterly we're not doing monthly um because that would be just a lot of noise all the time yeah I, i imagine uh the two per year i mean each issue is a tremendous amount of work but it also frees us up to do other things in you know the few months in between,
0: yeah, and books and classes and right you know our own other construction stuff around here and yep. I mean I think that's one of the things it's you know it's like so, sort of one of the classic things when you're thinking about construction or something right you say do you have more time than money or more money than time and so mm-hmm. do you if you have no time but you have financial resources you can hire a carpenter to do your work for you right. or if you have more time then you can spend that time to to build that thing mm-hmm. and so. It, what we've wanted to do with M&T is to say well we want to do as much of this stuff in-house as possible mm-hmm. um and because we want to be involved in it you know if we just said well let's make it uh, you know, every month we'll publish another issue and then we'll yeah. make mo- you know, lots of money and then we can right. sub all of our construction out <laughs> right. to someone else. And, and you know, watch the like,
1: house come together from yeah. over here as we're on our computers.
0: Yeah, that's no fun. No. <laughs> so we want to be able to set up our work so that we do we all do have our fingers involved in as much of this as, as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it inevitably creates this uh, cyclical, seasonal workflow throughout the mm-hmm. year that we have to, now we have to shift away from that and now go into, we're doing editorial work. And then as soon as that goes to the printer, now we're back on construction and we're putting together a, the next book. And we're, yep. it just creates these these natural, um I guess, or, organic, this organic workflow that just kind of is yeah. welcome.
1: It works. And somehow, and I I guess we figured out how, but somehow that cycle always involves us being up on a roof when it's bitterly cold and we're awaiting snow.
0: Yeah, it's the January roofing project. Yeah,
1: it's the the big, like, okay, now we got to get a roof on this before the snow hits. And it's like, we put out I feel issue. like that's poor planning. That, but... that might be poor planning. That's not just a natural cycle of the seasons. <laughs> but we've been up on the shop roof in the winter. We were on the smithy roof in the winter twice, I believe. The first mm-hmm. time was sheathing and getting it tar papered. And the second time was putting the actual cedar <laughs> shakes on it, both. <laughs> in the cold
0: i think george walker sent me an email he said that must be like a main tradition you guys <laughs> like are always roofing and yeah you know, roofing chisel the ice off and it put is, some more shingles on
1: yeah i mean i i would uh, prefer roofing in maine in the winter over like our friend robel has done roofing in atlanta georgia in the summertime i definitely take the cold yeah yeah over the hot that sounds horrid uh down there um he says that, like, by ten AM, they're like done for the for the day. For the morning, at least, they gotta wait till it cools off in the the long afternoon. But uh, their idea of cooling off down there is my idea of suffocating. So, <laughs> it's very hot. Yeah,
0: but yeah, I mean, there are so many aspects to the seasonality. So, we were talking about our workflow, and you know, the, the projects we take on that sort of has its own built in cycle. But I mean, I think also just having a kind of work that is somewhat naturally connected to the the seasons around us. Like in winter around here, right now, you know, it's by four o'clock, it's dark. It is dark. It's dark. That's it. And so downstairs in our shop, we don't have any electric lighting. Um, I would have to bring in some battery powered lights to, to get lighting down there. We have tons of windows and it's gorgeous. And so, I mean, it's gorgeous during the day to work in there. The lighting is so beautiful and perfect for what we need in terms of the angle coming in. It's not overhead lighting, it's side lighting, it's window lighting. It's just so perfect, except mm-hmm. when you're shooting video and it's trying to adjust. Right. But besides that, um, you know, it's just such a lovely space. The downside to, do, to setting it up that way is, you know, in December and January, it's dark. Yeah, your day is, it is short. It, at four o'clock, that's it. And so, you know, it's been interesting. It's always interesting, you know, working on Christmas gifts <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and trying to you know, work on that in the evening. And I don't really have much lighting. So I end up like, you know, this long extension cord trying to get some you know, <laughs> lamp working and...
1: Sawing by headlamp.
0: <clears throat> sawing by headlamp, which yeah, you know, I have done that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so... There's a part of us that says, oh, that is really inconvenient. Like, why are you doing that? We have technology that can, your, your shop can be as bright as noonday, 24 hours a day. Right? Yep. You could get the second shift going in there
0: or the third yeah, shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and, and that's part of the um, looking at the seasonal nature of work. Uh, like, uh, Seasons are inefficient. Especially the sure. further, you know, the higher or lower the latitude or longitude, you know, where where you're, uh, getting closer to the poles and seasons are more extreme. Uh, you know, north of sixty six degrees, they're in twenty four hours of darkness right now, and uh, you have to. Th- there's a sense in that extreme instance, you can't help but have to adapt to that you can't just overwhelm it with technology and floodlight your city. I mean, the, the weather is so extreme that it makes it possible, I mean, impossible to just use technology to overcome it. But if you are further south in more seasonable climates, um, there's a huge temptation to just ignore the seasons and the changing of mm-hmm. um, the year. Um, and the industrial world, you know, it runs full throttle around the clock.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, But, I guess the question is: Is that good for the humans who make up make up the world?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's. We've talked about this so many different times in different ways, but you know, I've you know recently been thinking about conceiving of human beings as basically squishy machines. Mm -hmm. And I think the the industrial mentality does want us to think of ourselves as machines that we have to fuel up, and we have to, you know. you know, rest to re-energize ourselves. We need to process information and, mm-hmm. and download things into our brains, our think, our thought process and, and sort of mechanical description, I think is really, um, it's, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's coming out of, out of a conception of living life in an industrial mode of life in, in an industrial way. So when, you know, so getting the sun going down at four o'clock is a problem to be solved. Right. Because we need to, Continue productivity. We need to have the second shift running. We need to be able to put in extra hours, and so we see uh, the the natural world as an impediment. Mm -hmm. We see the natural world as something to be overcome and to be conquered. And and I think that you know that would only make sense if we were not human, right? (laughs) Right. If we weren't actually still a part of this world, Uh, but we are. We're not. We're not just squishy machines. We're not just flesh. Mechanisms. Uh, we're actually people. We're actually humans, and so we we if we divorce ourselves from that seasonality, we're just asking for for problems.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a part. Um, you know, this is a whole other topic, but sort of the idea of this like a divorcement from the natural world is um, one of the symptoms is that we no longer consider ourselves part of the environment. We're we're above it and beyond it. It is uh, you know ours to to utilize and to overcome rather than we are in it and adapting to it. Um, And so you see that symptom play out in a lot of ways around uh, society. But one of them is, you know, the existence of the second shift or the third shift or the fact that, uh, you know, many cities are as loud and noisy at 2 or 3 a.m. as they are any other time of the day um, because we are, trying to use over, uh, use technology to overcome our natural circadian rhythms, right? Like we're made to sleep during the nighttime hours. Um, there are a lot of interesting studies that have looked at, um, trying to like rewire circadian rhythm and, uh, uh mostly through the use of light, right? Light is the big trigger. That's like the serotonin, um, spike or dropping based on both the the level and the quality of the light around you so you know everybody i'm sure everyone listening has heard these studies and knows this stuff but the fact that light that's more skewed to the red side of the spectrum leads to uh you know more like relaxation like mental uh, you know like coming in for a landing it's getting close to bedtime right so you think of firelight, which was for who knows you know time immemorial that was the kind of lighting we had at night up until very recently, like very recently, the yeah. 1950s or something like that, you know, with uh, fluorescent lights, which are much more skewed towards the um, the blue side of the spectrum, which is, you know, midday, you look up at the sky, that's the color you get. And so that tends to, sp- it, it. brain activity is up high and you're alert and you're awake. And that actually, it feeds off of that because, you know, we as uh, creatures of the earth have always been at our best during the day. We're not, uh, we're not night hunters or anything like that. We can't see very well. We can't hear very well. We have to be awake and alert during the day. So there are lots of studies that show when you try and skew a human being to be more active at night by shifting them over, um, by putting them in, uh, you know, situations where artificial lighting is more active and uh, at later hours, uh, these studies show these correlations to things like uh, diabetes and heart disease and depression and things like that. There's, there are these correlations, um, you know, many studies across the board show this, that this is not really a, I mean, we can adapt to any kind of outside stressor, mm-hmm. but is that really wise for long-term health? And a lot of these uh, studies seem to indicate probably not this is not very sustainable for individuals. Um,
0: yeah so I mean in terms of like you know thinking about so how does that apply to uh, to shop work and thinking about that I think it is really helpful to to say okay so this is the way it is this is the world yeah and this is where we live in this is my region and so I know at four o'clock it's going to be dark and so how do I accommodate my schedule accommodate my Projects accommodate my thinking about what I can accomplish uh, to to that reality. Instead of saying, instead of either just completely ignoring it and mm-hmm. flipping all the lights on and doing whatever I want whenever I want, right? You know, I, I think there is a real value in saying, okay, well, you know, I can do these kinds of tasks. I've thought about this before. You know, Mike, you head out before I do from the shop at the, at the uh, end of the workday, and so I have some some time here at the shop, and if I'm you know, say working on Christmas gifts or I'm working on a project after you leave, Mike, I'm, you know, I'm, and it's this time of the year that I have less and less light, I yep. really am thinking, okay, I have 15 or 20 minutes yep. and it will be getting darker and darker and darker. You can't I have, see your layout lines. I have edge tools and I have layout lines yep. and I want to get this particular thing done so I can glue it up before I leave. I have to start prioritizing what I'm working on. Now, of course, of course, you could do something foolish and do something dangerous because you can't see. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying you realize there are certain kinds of things you can do w- in your circumstances. Uh, whether it's a temperature issue, if you're working outside in the winter, there are certain kinds of work that you can em- embrace and do. I'm thinking about you know, like felling a tree mm-hmm. is a a just a blessing in the winter because you're yep. warming your body up. yes. If you do that in August, it's miserable because yeah. that's you know it's it's exactly what you do not need in August. Yep. But there it is, you know. And so thinking about okay, what kinds of work can I do, you know, if I think about the the winter projects I really enjoy doing and I start reflecting back on the years in the past and what have I been doing in my shop in winter? I know that around Christmas time I struggle in the dark to accomplish certain things. Mm-hmm that's one thing. So it doesn't actually work out too well to try to do those particular projects. But I also have done a lot of spoon carving in front of the wood stove,
1: Yes, right. which is
0: perfect. That's exactly to be able to, you know, get all cozy in the house and have the wood stove going and to be able to, um, carve a spoon. I can be in the shop during the day and split out some blanks and hew it with an ax and come down to the house at the end of the day with some blanks and, you know, um, my wife and I can hang out at the wood stove while the kids are in bed and I can just carve and mm-hmm. it's it's a very natural fit for that particular situation and I think that's the thing that I've often thought about with this is embracing the seasonality means you you it opens you up to um, to not just dictate what you're going to do but to kind of work with what's presented right. like for example, there's this you know classic uh, Discussion in spoon carving, where people there are some spoon carvers that really like uh, crooked branches, and they like carving spoons out of cro- crooked branches. So they'll rive the wood and they follow its grain. And some people use dead straight grain, mm-hmm. and they'll hew the, the the curve. crank yeah. into the the spoon so they can get exactly what they want. And I think it's one of those things that I have found, even within let's just say you you you, you rive the wood from a crooked branch this curvy branch it still isn't you're you're not necessarily I mean you could just follow what it's going to do mm-hmm. but you also have to look at it and say is that a little too much is that right. not quite enough and you still are going to adjust it to what you want so i think it's it, you know in in a lot of situations it you're it's not just about you know approaching some raw material and saying i have this design or this project and you just say i just want to get it out of whatever raw material yeah you also impose a, your will a, on a, that. Yeah, exactly, imposing your will. You also approach, approach the, situate, the, the materials or the temperature or the, the available light and you say, what can I do with this? Mm-hmm. And I think when you approach it that way, it opens up a whole new, um, it shows you things you didn't see before. And it, it pushes you into areas or it pushes you to try things you, haven't, you wouldn't have conceived of if you just had raw material with the designs you brought to the raw material. So embracing that seasonality can do the same thing that it, you know, let's say you're not really much of a spoon carver, but you're kind of half interested, but you have the same situation I'm talking about in winter. You just need something quiet, mellow, that doesn't require a workbench. Try spoon carving. And you might realize, you know what, this actually is a perfect fit for my life right now, or making birch bark canisters or whatever, you know, uh, handcraft rabbit hole you want to go yeah. down. Um, what the seasonality thing is, is what we're emphasizing here is you can look at your circumstances, what's available, what kind of trees do you have on your property? Or if you don't have any, what lumber do you have in storage or whatever? And say, what can I do with what's in front of me? What's mm-hmm. available to me?
1: You're kind of going with the grain of reality. Yeah. There you go. So to speak. Um, so, uh, before we move on, I want to talk about a term that I know has been overused. And especially because, you know, in the the trendy Western blogosphere, you know, certain terms get grabbed and they get run with. But it's the, uh, speaking of people who live in the North, it's the old, the Norse and Danish concept of hygge. Oh,
0: okay? yes.
1: So if if you didn't get into the hygge craze back in like the, the late 20-teens, um, I'll just unpack it a little. So it's, it's a word from, it comes from the Danish, uh, the concept in, in um, Denmark and in Norway are exactly the same, basically. They, it comes from an old Danish word meaning to give courage or comfort or joy. So the idea is this, um, it's the sense of well-being and warmth and satisfaction basically being in a warm sweater with a hot cup of coffee with your warm socks by the fire in the wintertime. Uh, pretty much the way it's been spun up is like it's a wintertime ideal. Like you're looking for, uh, I, I've heard the word conviv- conviviality thrown in there in the definition. Oh, you have, interesting. It's like, okay. like a, a family like gathering quietly by the fire. Um, it's, it's interesting. I like etymology. So the word comes from... Uh, the word hyg- hygge, I think would be the way to pronounce that, which means to think in Old Norse. So, and it's also, that term is built from the Old Norse word hugger, which later become the, became the word hygge, uh, which is talking about the soul, mind, and consciousness, but it also comes from a 1560s word huga, which means to embrace. It's the word hug, basically. I'm saying the word hug over and over. Mm. Um so if you think about, like, the embrace of warm comfort and that, that kind of thing, like a bear hug of all those idealistic things that, uh, like, the best of winter coziness. Mm. Okay. So this is, this is a, a cultural thing, right? And so these, um, some northern, like, Scandinavian cultures and stuff really tr- uh, try to embrace this concept. And we in America always envying what other nations have that we don't have. We really want something. So we, we started, you know, with all our books and stuff on it. And so this was a big pop culture uh, hmm. idea a few years ago. I guess it's faded a little. But people are still into it. Um, and I was just thinking, I mean, I, I like the concept.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's a
1: great concept. And we actually, you know, we try and pursue that. Um, but I think it's worth You mean
0: in your family? Yeah. Your family yeah, in is.
1: general like okay, this is a nice winter's evening and like you said you know like gather by the wood stove and do quiet things and read and play games and um, I think it's a good idea to ask why this idea was so pervasive like even overdone. Like is it a response to something lacking? And I I I think I would say it is. Like we're looking at yeah. this this ideal and saying I want that. I want to just quiet down in the wintertime and gather with my loved ones and, and do some quiet, creative work uh, and then go to bed at a
0: decent hour. <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, I mean, it actually reminds me of Albert Borgman talking about the Latin word focus, mm. which is hearth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not the, the family hearth, the word is focus. Uh, and I think that's, that's really... Um, a a powerful image to be thinking about, uh, these, these focal practices, these focal aspects of your life and being able to say, okay, let me just take some time here to reflect and just to be focused on something small and simple. I can get Mm -hmm. my hands around. Uh, there's definitely uh, a lot to be said for that for sure. And winter is good for that. Um, so
1: yeah, winter, I mean, you know, it's, it's not a coincidence, you know, that, uh, that New Year's is a time for people to reflect and resolve. Right. right. I mean, it, it could just be in the change of the calendar year. You're like, oh, this year is going to be different than last year. But I think, you know, in general, work has to slow down in winter for a society, you know, every society up leading up into ours when we have decided that that no longer applies to us. But people had to slow down and, and spend more time in contemplation. You know, if you if you think about um, people uh, like the uh, First Nations who were here, winter was there was so much time just spent gathered around the fire and in, in the warmth. You know, uh, obviously you had a lot of living to do outside, a lot of hunting and things like that. But for the most part, the work of the summertime is done. Like summer and fall are pr- preparation for winter to survive the winter to. I mean and not just to survive but to thrive through the winter. So once that prep work is done, once the the woods put up and the meat is dried and the fish is dried and the berries are dried and everything is ready, you just have months of time quiet, you know, to tell stories and to mm-hmm. contemplate. And this, this is a very 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 long human tradition.
0: Yeah, I mean I think it, it's obviously not a it's not a coincidence that we have this um shortest day of the year, mm-hmm. you know, right at this time of the year that it's, we're a, about to begin to gain more and more light. And right. I just, I mean, that, that first morning I wake up and I hear birds singing yeah, these spring songs. I'm like, oh, yeah, yes.
1: You're ready. And it's yeah. just
0: amazing because we can even, you know, my wife and I can be around the house this time of the year. And even if even I mean we might have some some cooler of some uh, some warmer lights on, but lower lit, and we're trying to I'm doing dishes and we have a few chores to do before bed. Um, it still feels like we cannot get ourselves energized mm-hmm. to keep going. We just feel tired, yeah, right. Like you're talking about this firelight, um, but it's the same thing in spring that I cannot get myself to calm down to go to bed yeah. because yeah. I just want to go go go. Yeah. And I think the more you're connected to that seasonality, you can, uh, you can, you can find that you'll have wind in your sails in in spring and in summer. And you just when it, you know, you know, in the middle of summer when it's nine o'clock at night, I I cannot get myself to close my eyes to go to bed. I just want to keep working. Right. Um, but in winter come four o'clock. I'm like, I just want to go to bed, (laughs) which, you know, some people would say, well, that's a problem. I I don't, I don't think it is. Right. I I don't think it is because I can keep pushing until nine o'clock in summer because in the winter I actually took that time to rest. Yeah. Um, that's super important.
1: Yeah. And, you know, as we're talking about the, the different kinds of work that seasonality affords, like I, I think back historically, um, you know, here in Maine, we've had this lumbering industry for a long time and, um, you know, many, many millions of board feet of, of lumber. And the seasonal nature of that work was that you're in the woods in the wintertime, you know, during daylight hours, obviously. Mm-hmm. But these logging camps would be deep in the interior in the coldest months of the year, logging these, these um, men swinging axes. And then they would build these woods roads uh, and freeze the roads. They'd have these uh, horse-drawn wagons with, with barrels of water that they've had to, you know, hack holes in the pond to fill, and they run them back and forth, and they get these roads all built up with ice so that they can haul sledges loaded with logs down and pile them next to the frozen river, right? And so there's all this work done awaiting the first melt of spring. And then when uh, the streams melt and thaw... You have guys who go in and they just push the logs into the river. And and so every spring there's a big log drive. And, of course, uh, the the calendar and the, the seasons really um, dictate how you do that. Because, mm-hmm. So, like, how do you get all these logs from here down to the coastal mills? Well, this is how you do it. And you have to work in the coldest months of the year um, to make that happen. But uh, handwork, craftwork has always been has always had seasonal aspects to it. Like you've, um, in some of your research into Jonathan Fisher, and you've seen in his journals about different things about the cold and things like that. Yeah. Anyone who's worked in a barn or an unheated garage, you recognize the seasonal nature of the work. Like, okay, it's not comfortable and I'm going to stab myself.
0: Yeah. Because. Yeah, definitely. I, your hands are numb.
1: Yeah. It, it just doesn't work. Yep. So, um, These are all just valuable things to, to think about. Like, are these things to be overcome or are these things to, to roll with? Because, you know, this is part of what it is to be a human being.
0: I think the other thing is too, so we have, we're talking mostly about seasons in terms of within the year, you know, so it's like winter and summer and those kinds of things. But I also think there are seasons of life, that there are different kinds of work that you can do, you know, I think, um, I'm a, I'm a furniture maker. You know, I, I make furniture. That's kind of my my passion and my interest and, and my thing. And I haven't really made much furniture in the past year, this past year, mm-hmm. uh, because I've been working so – I've been so focused on this house and this house restoration. So it's like a really, really big piece of furniture, you know, mortise right. and tenon With joinery. Big sloppy joinery. a Big sloppy joinery, right. Um. So, you know, it, it's interesting because I think there's – as a furniture maker, at the end of the year, I always end up reflecting back on what did I build this year? What did I make this year? And it'd be really easy for me to say, "Oh man, I didn't Nothing. really get much done this year." Because right. look at the the paucity of furniture. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Look at the void of furniture that I didn't produce this year. And I think it is important to to see to 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 see that kind of situation. And say there are seasons of life. There are seasons of being able to focus on different kinds of things, because then when you can, in the same way that I'm just applying this, what we've already said to this sort of thing, you can appreciate the the uniqueness of that particular kind of creativity and that kind of work. So in my situation, working on the house project, I could say, wow, I'm kind of bummed I'm still doing this thing. I wish I I didn't, you know, my furniture making was put on hold.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I just put it aside. I don't actually think that's a good way to think about it because- you know, so I've learned so much going through this house project that is informing every other area of my life. Right. Every other handcraft I do, every other, I mean, I, I really have been talking, you know, about so many of the life lessons I've learned. I've been, you know, sharing with friends, going, building a, a timber frame house and then these like personal life lessons I've learned. Mm-hmm. So everything you, every kind of project you invest yourself in you're able to stand at, um, if you were to kind of look at craftsmanship as like a faceted jewel or something. There's this metaphor, like, and you stand back and you say, I'm, "I, I have this one facet that I focus on." Right. Well, that may be nice, but if you change your your vantage point, you take a step to the left or the you know whatever, and you see a whole nother facet to craftsmanship, another kind of craft. It just broadens your appreciation and your understanding of not only the whole gem as it were but also that other facet you really understand more about what you're doing i was you know for for years i was restoring antique furniture for a living i haven't done that in six years or so but i know for a fact that if i started doing that again right now if i Mm. went back into that i would have i would probably come up with different solutions for restoration problems
1: based on based on the timber frame
0: i was working on and based on the Um, you know, the research building furniture with hand tools and uh, examining more antiques, I would be coming at it with uh, more and broader information. And so I think that's important to be thinking about that, to embrace the seasonality of of life too, that you might have a couple of years that you just are doing this one thing, you're focusing on your career, this, you know, one aspect, and you feel like I'm not really making progress in my passion, mm-hmm. woodworking in the shop. But instead of seeing that as just, well, I've learned nothing there, say, well, what did I learn about that f- in these other areas? How does it expand my, my uh, frame of reference?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I feel like sometimes I'm the, the world's slowest writer. And <laughs> I've had this idea for like a, a novel for years, and I have all these notes, and I've taken them, and I every year that goes by, I feel like, oh, gee, I've still not made much progress in it. But I have realized that in the thinking about it and the themes that I want to incorporate, uh, it, it really, like, is drawing on every other area of life to to kind of inform it and steer it, like steer my thought process and clarify things. And so uh, it's a, it's a long burn, mm-hmm. I guess, so to speak. Yeah. But I think that that also speaks to the um, the value of being a generalist rather than a specialist, because because sure. if you are in say you have some handcraft pursuit, say you you only do like a super precise high level uh, marketry, and that's 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 what you do, that's all you do. Obviously, um, you you need to overcome some seasonal challenges with. Uh, you know, super bright lighting and different things a nice heated shop and all that. And so you can be really limited by either a different, um, you know, calendar season or a different season of your life. Like you've just had a baby and you don't have any time to do that. So you just feel like you're, you're dropping the ball. You're, you're not able to do that thing that you're interested in. Mm -hmm. But um, the thing about creativity and working with your hands is that, You can bring that elsewhere and still have, uh, still be investing, or maybe it's not investing. Maybe it's drawing from that creative well that you Mm -hmm. have, like that fulfilling um, practice. Uh, So yeah, I think, I think that um, thinking about it in terms of of just where we can draw on that creative impulse in life, no matter really where we are. Mm-hmm. is is a valuable thing to do.
0: Well, I mean, I, I was thinking about, you know, we've talked about uh, in other places in the past, we've talked about, f- you know, five minutes a day, 10 minutes mm-hmm. a day of shop time, right? And what we've talked about with that is if you spent, let's say if you spent 10 minutes a day in the shop uh, versus spending, you know, one hour every Saturday and that's it, you're gonna get further along Spacing it out, and yeah. part of it is because you're you're getting some further on in your skill development, because you're you're able to do the work, understand it, you know, walk away from it and dwell on it.
1: Yeah, you're processing. Think about it,
0: it and say, yeah. okay, hmm. Well, you know, what did I learn from that? And then you come back when if your tools are still set up there on the bench, you get right back to it. Rather than, I mean, picture this. I mean, you know, I don't know how many of you listening do this. Let's so say you have one hour every Saturday. You walk in and that clock just keeps tick 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 mm-hmm. tick and it's gone your hour's yeah. gone and you realize well'll see you in a week yeah and it's too much time apart it's too it's too distant you know you just there's this big disconnect you
1: spend half the time getting yourself set back up to start working and moving forward
0: yeah sure um, so I mean if you think of that in terms of like uh, the seasons of life too it is valuable I mean if you say, I'm only gonna do this one thing in this huge chunk of time. And if I'm not devoting this much time to it, then I certainly couldn't be making any progress. Well, no, that's not the case. If you can get bits of it throughout time, the time between is valuable. Mm. It's not negative space. <clears throat> it's not right. wasted time. Um, and so it's, it's this, this, this ruminating, this dwelling, This you know, you're just letting that um, steep. You know, so yeah. that those things become uh, there's there's something I don't know if it's something magical or what it is, but when you come back after time and you've experienced more things, you come fresh and you say, "Hmm, yeah, I, I get what has to happen here."
1: Yep. I mean, in um, we have the uh, we put on the mortise and tenon apprenticeship program. It's that um online eight week course where uh, we bring in we have students who come together. And every week they focus on some different aspect of woodworking. And sort of one of the avowed goals of that is to incorporate craft practice into daily life. And we've heard from so many students that it's been wonderful. Like several have, they live in a, a small apartment or something. They've brought the a workbench into their kitchen or their living room, right? And so they can do daily work and do these exercises and, and make this joinery and do all this stuff. Making Time and room in their lives for that work, and uh, that kind of thing is not a novel approach. That's, you know, we talk about regular craft practice. I mean, this is a big difference between a hobbyist of today and um, someone who is a, you know, a, a subsistence farmer or something from the years gone by. In that, um, when we value craft practice. As something that uh, gives us fulfillment or satisfaction but maybe it it doesn't go really any further than that it's just a hobby maybe you could get the same satisfaction from playing video games or something like that but um, if you are trying to incorporate it in your life if you're actually trying to uh, adjust your life to uh, different values almost right where where handcraft and making and surrounding yourself with beautiful things is not just for your entertainment, but it's for your your betterfication. Is that a word? No, I don't think that's a word. Okay. I just made up a word, but it it kind of works. It's betterment? Your betterment. That's that's even improvement, better. Improvement? Yeah. You development? Better, you you maturation. betterfied my word. <laughs> um, but if handcraft is not just a hobby, but it's actually vital, it's, it's um, very important, then then you recognize that adding it into your life on a daily basis in tiny ways or in bigger ways is is a good thing. Like you were just saying, Joshua, about the fact that if you just get five minutes to spend on it, you're thinking about it, you're focused on it, and you can make progress better in that way. Um, it's it's a valuable thing to do. And I think um, a, a book that always comes to mind for me and I love this book it's a children's book so it's one of those um, Barbara Cooney Illustrated uh, the author was Donald Hall it's called the Ox Cart Man I know you guys have a mm-hmm. copy of that too yeah. um, so it's based in Portsmouth New Hampshire and it's it's this man and his family and they live on a farm and uh, in the it's like in the winter time he's the man is carving an ox yoke and his wife is like doing um, knitting and she's spinning by the fire and the children, you know, the daughter's doing needlepoint and the son is making birch brooms with his pocket knife and they're, they're doing all this work gathered around the hearth. And then in the springtime, you know, the man takes the, uh, the yoke and he takes his ox and he takes the wagon that he built and he takes the chairs that he made over the winter and he takes the brooms his son whittled and the, the yarn his wife has spun and the thing she's knitted and he brings it into town and he exchanges them, he sells them, and he gets like seed and he gets new needles and he gets all these different things to bring back into the, the, the household, right?
0: So that he can pay for Netflix. So he can,
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so they're their Hulu subscription. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he sells the ox and he sells the yoke and the wagon. And he, he comes strolling back with, you know, riches of creativity for mm-hmm. the next year, like all they need. And... I just, I love that book. It's so much fun to see that. And so now he's ready to plant and he has, you know, a young ox that he's going to train to the plow and he's going to raise this. And, and of course next year he'll build a new wagon or build, you know, make new chairs to bring to market, to buy the things that they need for the next year. Mm -hmm. And it's this, um, amazing cycle that you see in that book. Uh, besides it being a, a very beautiful book, it's just really compelling. It's, uh, a fun story,
0: yeah. And I mean, I, I can hear someone you know, just thinking about them like, well, that's really this idealized, uh, non existent sort of yeah, half way of died living through the
1: winter, anyway. But the
0: thing is, it actually isn't made up that no. that is the way, yeah, people have lived for a very long time. So, yeah. I mean, I it's not necessarily like that's that would be the only ex, those exact um life ways are the only way to be happy or something. Um, but I do think that that's a really important principle the seasonality of what you're talking about um, can a, I mean I I would try to you know figure out how to apply that into my life mm-hmm. um, and part of it for me has been you know the the lighting in the shop and the different uh, workflow throughout the year and you know we have the, the two magazines that dip two the same two times of the year um, and I think a lot of that, came from not directly the oxcart man, uh, but from that way of life Mm -hmm. that the book is, um, you know, uh, portraying. I think that way of life, I I have started with the premise, you know, in my adult life, I've been operating with the premise that if something has been done for thousands of years, it is a viable option, period. If yeah. someone says, "I know they used to do this all throughout human history," but it's not possible up anymore, until
1: 1960,
0: <laughs> I don't believe you. You right. have a huge burden of proof, right? You have a lot to prove to to make that a, a you know a viable, sound argument, because people did do this for thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of years. This is how it worked, and so you know I I do start with the premise saying it is possible, it yeah. is something that you can do, and so then it's just a question of. How much of this do I want to try to incorporate, or in what, what ways am I going to incorporate mm-hmm. these principles into my my life?
1: Yeah, I mean, looking over this the scope of human history, you know, mo- modernity is the blip, like yep. we're the aberration. Everything else has been as as we're talking about here with this regular cycle of seasons and, and days, and um, and if
0: and if we're making so much progress, then we should be able to choose that way and yeah, be happy with we it. We
1: should be free to to incorporate the the beautiful and idealistic things about that and and use yeah, let's say we use technology to overcome some of the shortcomings. But sure. um yeah, like I and I'm not talking about, you know, having fresh tomatoes in winter because I think that's just there's just something wrong about that. <clears throat> Besides the fact that grocery store tomatoes in midwinter are just kind of gross. Yeah. It kind of tastes gross, but I I don't I think that there's something to having to wait for fresh tomatoes. Yeah. When they're ripe. Yeah. Off your vine, off your tomato yep. plant. Um
0: it's like uh what is it the uh Oh, I can't remember how he describes it. It's this long description, but Joel Salatin, this lunatic <laughs> farmer. Yeah. Um he talks so much about how important it is to eat uh seasonally, how much of it how much of a value that is. And, you know, when they're raising on their farm, they're raising chickens. They don't ship their chickens out to people. Mm. If you live here, you can get one of my chickens from mm-hmm. the, from here or the market, you know, in town. Right. Um, but also, I mean, I remember him talking about, he's like, Snicker bar, Snickers bars are great. They're yummy. <laughs> but I don't have a whole diet that's all about food that comes from all around the world. Right. He's eating stuff that's seasonal and local right here. Um, And not so he's saying, you know, I'm not trying to make a this hard and fast rule, this monastic sort of rigor or discipline about I won't put anything in my body that's X, Y, or Z. Right. He's just saying, hey, you know, this is not tomato season. Yeah. So there, but it is the season for all these other things. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I think there's something really rich about that. I actually remember. So when you have what is it? Is it June butter? Is that right? Mm, I think it's yeah, June, June fresh, butter yeah. is a thing, right? Yeah. So the butter that comes in June from the cows on the June grass mm-hmm. is like the most premium, yeah. delicious Ambrosia. butter. Yeah. It, it, it's it's amazing, so right? Now it's interesting because one of our friends, she's a, a dairy farmer, and we went. We were stopping at the farm. We were getting some stuff from her, and we got some butter, and it was in June. And she said, "Well, I'm like." almost out because this some lady came in and she's buying all of her year's butter in In june June so that she has june butter all throughout the year i was like that's so modern that is exactly what people would do they would say like what's the best yeah what let's isolate the compound yeah and i just want that compound Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna down it all year long because that's what we need yeah which is just totally missing Mm -hmm. missing the whole point um and so I think that's you know embracing that seasonality and saying, hey, it's butter season, let's mm-hmm. do it up. Yeah, let's you know? have
1: our June butter in June.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think about, um, I am trying to learn and understand and appreciate the, the art of hunting, okay? So last year I went and, so for me, hunting is still basically the theoretical practice of walking through the woods with the chance of, of getting an animal for, for, for whose season it is open right now, right? So um, my youngest son and I have spent a bit of time sitting and waiting. And I mean, it's, it's lovely, you know? It's, I love sitting in the woods and being as quiet as possible. Um, but hunting is still mostly theoretical. I mean, if they if it was for sure, it would be called something else other than hunting. It'd be like bagging or, you know.
0: <laughs> Harvesting.
1: Dragging. your dear home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Harvesting. There's nothing sure about it. But there's an amazing... I mean, especially in Maine, the tradition of hunting is uh, amazing. Uh, And the the seasonal uh, cycle of it, you know, about, you know, the different things about... I mean, even if you look at the the full moons and the names of them, there's the hunter's moon. And that is um, the moon at which traditionally... It's, I believe that's the October full moon. Um, I could be wrong about that, so you can write an angry email if I am. Uh, but anyway, it's it's this full moon for the hunter going off to get, uh, get a deer, right? And so deer season is always in the late fall, you know, during the rut, which is also a very cyclical thing. And uh, there's a, a sense in which it is, of course— not right for deer season to take place in the spring that's when the fawns are emerging and the does and the bucks they're separate and there are no antlers and there's just a sense that that is not the time even though it's of course it's it's illegal but it's also just not the time Um, and so there's so much of uh hunting hunting tradition that is based on these seasonal cycles and um outside of that tradition, you, you just step away from that. You can't go and hunt a deer in spring um, because it's outside of the, the right time for that. And so I think that that's, it's really, um, you know, again, a powerful metaphor to say, okay, well then what is in season now? If I want to be a hunter, I need to look at what is in season? What can I pursue? What do I need to wait for? because that's part of the beauty of the cycle. If everything were just open all the time and you could go after whatever, there wouldn't be a specialness to that. So um, I think that there is uh, value in that and also in looking to see how we can incorporate this this seasonal craft pursuit more in our own lives.
0: Yeah so that can that can play into you know we're talking about hunting and food and all these other things, but they're all, um, I guess they're not just metaphors, but they are, you know, connection points with other areas of life and our in our work. And so there are ways to think about our work. How can our work be seasonal? Mm. Um, and if you know you listening, if your work is not seasonal at all, that every month is exactly the same work mm-hmm. all the time, uh, whether it's you know th- the work you're paid for or the work that you do for leisure time for the work for fun, you know, the shop work or whatever. Um, if there's there's no dynamic to it, there's no change, there's no growth or uh, meandering in and out or whatever. But um, I would encourage you to try, try uh, setting things up, letting, you know, the seasons of life or the seasons uh, outside, seasons of nature, um, shape and mold and kind of not dictate, but steer influence uh, your your craft projects um, because it will open you up to so many other things. When the birch bark is in the right season for it to pop, mm. that's the time to experiment with birch bark. Mm-hmm. When you have a wood stove running, carve some spoons. When it's when you have long days, you can really put in extra hours on that cabinet making project. You can build that chest of drawers because you have extra daylight and you have extra energy to do all that planing. Right. You know? um, and so... I think that is really something that is, um, modernity does not, uh, appreciate enough, you know? Yeah. Modernity is about, you know, how can we do even better? How can we have it on all the time? And so what ends up happening is it just flattens everything. And so it ends up not actually being better. It's just sort of monotonous. It's all just the same all the time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, in looking ahead to 2023, we can be thinking about how we wanna do this better and also just what else we uh, we might want to change about the way we've gone about life this year, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, what are you gonna get, a, buy a treadmill, you think? Start running in your your little house over there?
0: Well, I mean, I think the thing is, I was mentioning earlier my friend who said, you know, you guys go pretty hard. Mm -hmm. yeah that was a season (laughs) that was like i mean and not just a life season but i mean that was yeah this year we blocked a bunch of stuff out and we pushed so hard and i am i mean i'm sure anyone listening can hear it in our tone of voice right now (laughs) we are wiped out totally wiped out and i said to him he said so what are your plans this winter and i said resting yeah my plan is to make an issue of this magazine to lay low and uh rest because what's going to happen is spring will come and the birds will be singing Yeah, and I will not be able to close my eyes and I'll Mm -hmm. have to push and I'll be done by June or July. I'll be just flat on my face out of energy. Yeah, And so the only reason, the only way that I I told him, you know, the only way that I can actually go that hard in summer is because I take winter to rest. Yeah. You know, it's, there is, you have to be able to, um, if you want to, you know, push really hard then you have to at the same time embrace times of absolute rest. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's my resolution right now is rest this winter, um, carve some spoons, uh, do some, maybe do some drawing. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Something that's, that's just calm and quiet and not involving, you know, 30 foot eight by eight timbers. <laughs> um, but I, I think also thinking about next year, you know, we've gone through a whole year of, everything we did with the house between um, selling the old house and the the foundation work and the timbers. And, um, you know, we had so many different people involved coming and going at different aspects of the project. It was just so much logistical coordination and so many um, people to bring in at just the right time. And it was, uh, I mean, if you haven't built your own house, you may not fully grasp that it's, I, I would say the hardest part of building your own house to the degree to which I've done it so far, it's not complete. It's the hardest part is the logistical. It's the mental part of it.
1: Juggling. It's not
0: that yeah. my body is tired from picking up the timbers. It, that's really actually not that big of a deal. It's just mentally exhausting and draining. Mm. I have a friend in you know um, who's going through a, a seminary program. He was a mechanic. And then he went into a seminary, this rigorous academic program, right? And so he was telling me, it was interesting because he was doing mechanic work for years and now he's doing rigorous academic stuff and he was he was telling me he's just so wiped out he's so tired yeah and he, he's like i don't know what's wrong i can't figure it out and so we were just talking about some of that that i think that it's easy to underestimate how um ment how, how physically draining me- uh, mental uh, work is yeah it is. and so even in the house project um i'd rather pick up timbers all day and you know not have the thought yeah. in my head yeah then try to coordinate a bunch of people for the right time. It's yep. just draining. So for me, you know, coming up in this next year and thinking about, okay, when we pick up the house project again, it is time to simplify um, things. Now we've gone through a lot of the coordination with other people. We've had to yeah. do we're past that. Yeah. A now, lot of
1: the, the foundation work is done. Yep. Uh the getting the cottage ready is yep. done. Running, you know, power and water and all that yep. is yep. done. Um so we get to ease into the fun stuff now, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: and I, I think that's the thing. I'm I'm resolved to keep it simple this next year. And it, again, it's important to distinguish between simple and easy. Building a house is not easy, but this next stage of the process, I want to simplify. So there are mm-hmm. fewer moving parts, as yep. it were. There are fewer deadlines, fewer th- uh, things that we're dependent on outside of us. Because it's really, you know, when we're working 40 hours a week together, side by side, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. We just pick up our hammers and keep going. And a lot
1: does get done.
0: Yeah. So I want the next year to be like that. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's my resolution.
1: (laughs) Keep it simple. That sounds good. And nothing out of left field.
0: No. Right. I'm going to plan on no surprises.
1: Yeah. No surprises in 2023. That's, that's a resolution. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I think that's, that is that is a wonderful ideal to shoot for, um, just keeping things. I mean, it's it's been awesome and amazing to see how, you know, the magazine has grown, and we've had to adapt and change to that and, and make it so that we're not driven, you know, out of our minds insane by, by keeping all – it's like juggling balls. You get one in the air and two in the air and three in the air and – in the air and pretty mm-hmm. soon
0: and then your email inbox is just filling because yeah, you're it's juggling just, yeah,
1: exactly yeah. and that that is how it has um, it can be at times but uh, to have seen to be seeing the magazine growing as it has and to hear from, from customers and readers as we have it's just so fulfilling and so encouraging um, and then uh, to you know we've been taking a good bit of this year has been getting things set so that uh, certain things are are handled and they're they're ready to go and they're you know streamlining the process and things like that. Like there's a lot of mental work that goes into that and we're just we're so grateful for where this thing is at right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're we're definitely grateful for anyone and everyone who's uh, listening to us in our podcast who's made it through this far and uh, who's who's listened to any um, you know of our past episodes. Uh, thank you for your support. We are, uh, again, just grateful that you're listening. Um, if you have any thoughts and comments, you can leave them below. Um, you can obviously subscribe to this podcast at uh, iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or Podbean or-
0: Spotify. Wir-
1: Spotify, yep. Uh, Pandora, I think. No. I think we're on Pandora. Hmm. I'll have to check that. I bet we are. Um But yeah, uh, just thank you. Thank you for subscribing and listening, following us, and um, just keep in touch, and uh, we hope you have a happy new year.